Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. Let's go back in our Bibles, please, tonight to John chapter number 17. John chapter number 17, we'll pick up uh, there this evening. John chapter number 17 tonight, and uh, let's look at what the Lord would have for us this evening. We began this morning to look at the subject here on the true Lord's Prayer. And I know when I say that, I have messed all of you up from now to the end of your Christian journey uh, because it is embedded in us that Matthew 6 is the Lord's Prayer prayer, and that's just what it is. Uh, but I hope we saw this morning how uh, when you study your Bible, it's really not. And uh, it is one that the Lord gave, uh, gave to his disciples, and it was their prayer. It is the prayer of the followers of the Lord Jesus that was given as an instruction and a model to them. Here in John 17, we have the greatest example of what we truly could call the Lord's Prayer. And let's look at these verses again tonight. Let's begin with a word of prayer. I'll let you remain seated tonight again uh, because we're going to read this chapter again and then get into the message tonight. And uh, let's, let's pray. I normally don't do this, but let's pray to begin and then we'll read our text. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight as humbly and thankfully, dear God, as we know how. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege that it is to be in church. And God, I thank, I thank you, Lord, for this group of people that is here tonight. Lord, I, I thank you, Lord, when the building's been full. And I thank you, Lord, for the times to where it's just, just a handful of us in the house of God. Lord, I love these people more than I could ever tell them, could ever express to them, Lord, you know my heart, how much I love each and every one. And Lord, as far as I'm concerned, these are the sheep that you've given me to shepherd. Lord, I count it the greatest honor to be able to stand in this pulpit and try to impart some spiritual truth. And Lord, because of that great honor and the great responsibility that it is to preach the Bible and to stand before, as your representative to your people, I pray, dear God, that you'd help me, Lord, as only you can. I pray, dear God, that you'd forgive me of sin, empty me of self, fill me with your spirit, and use me, dear God. I I pray for your glory. Help me not to say anything out of the way that you would have not to be said. Help me to only say the things that you'd have for me said. Uh, help me to say the things that you'd have to be said. Help me to rightly divide the word of truth. And may something that's said and done tonight be a help, be a blessing, Lord. Be that which, stand, which each one stands in need of. Feed us, I pray, with the word of God. May the lost be saved. May the backslid get right with you tonight. And may your children find something that they stand in need of in your hand tonight. And Father, we do think Thank you, Lord, for the privilege to pray. And we do pray for those that are not able to be with us tonight, Lord, those especially that are dealing with sicknesses and other things, Lord, those that are shut in and just uh, battling one trial after another. I pray, God, that you'd strengthen them, help them, and minister to them as only the God of this universe can. And, Father, we just bless your name. Lord, we sure do love you. And we thank you, Lord, that we can say that knowing that you first loved us. In the name that is above every name, in the name of Jesus, 
Jesus Christ, I pray, amen and amen. Here in John chapter number 17, we begin in verse number 1 where the Bible says, These words spake Jesus. <clears throat> And lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. What a profound statement that is. May we all be able to say that when we're getting ready to leave this world. Verse 5, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine, thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee. And they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world. But these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have the, my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray that thou shouldest take them out of I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but, thou, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their, for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me I have, uh, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and thou in me. 
that they may be perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known me, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me, and I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Again tonight, if correctly read, this is John chapter number 17, in which the Lord Jesus Christ offers what we mentioned this morning is the true Lord's Prayer. We say it that way because Matthew chapter number 6, it has three problems with us calling it uh, the Lord's Prayer in the sense that it belongs to Jesus, uh, belongs to Jesus. In verse number 9, Jesus of Matthew chapter 6, of what we would normally Normally call the Lord's Prayer, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive, us, forgive our debtors, and so on and so forth. That prayer that we normally call the Lord's Prayer, it has some problems with it belonging to Jesus. Number one, in verse 9, Jesus told them, After this manner, therefore pray ye. Jesus said that it was the, that it was for them to pray, and him by saying that excludes himself. We mentioned this morning that the context of the words of that of that uh, prayer in general was answering the question of the disciples or the or the request of the disciples when they came to Jesus and said, "Lord, teach us to pray." It was not he was giving them a prayer to recite, but that prayer in itself. Was was a lesson on how to pray. And here in Matthew chapter number 6 we see uh, that this we see this instruction that it was for them and not for him. Number 2 we see verse number 12 in verse number 13 in verse number 12 of Matthew chapter 6 the verse implies that the one is praying and that the one praying is sinful. In verse number 13 it implies that the one praying has the ability to be tempted to sin and uh, to commit evil. Jesus did not have a sin nature, therefore he could not sin. And by not having a sin nature, he would not have been enticed by temptation, nor could he commit evil. So therefore we understand that this is a model prayer instructing the disciples on how to pray. Now I'm not going to take the time uh, this evening to go through uh, this uh, Matthew chapter number 6 prayer and show how it is a model prayer. Uh, I've done, I did that several years ago and I think we spent eight or nine messages in uh, Matthew chapter number six dealing with uh, this uh, so-called Lord's Prayer, this model prayer and how it instructs us in our prayer life. But we, I want us this morning and or this evening and we won't deal with every verse in this chapter. There's no way I could even if I took several weeks to do so. This is, this chapter is jam-packed with eternal truth. 
It is jam-packed with truth that only can be seen as God the Son speaks on a personal level to God the Father. This prayer was uttered that God the Father may know exactly what the heart of Jesus was, not necessarily that you and I would understand everything that Jesus was saying. We do have here, however, in our Bibles, and I'm thankful for it, a faithful record of what Jesus said in that prayer and all of the great truth that we can pull from God being faithful to give us this priceless record. This morning I said I wanted to talk about the true Lord's Prayer, and I want to take some verses out of here and, and really just highlight some things about what this prayer teaches us uh, here in these verses. We said number one, and we dealt with this this morning, the deliverer of the prayer. Verse number one says these words spake Jesus. Verse number one says that it was one who could call God Father uh, according to the flesh. It was one that uh, could call himself the Son of God and rightly do so. That only applies to Jesus in this way. Yes, you and I can call God our Father. Yes, you and I are sons of God. But at the same time, the context here is different. Here we find one that calls God Father because it is the Father's blood that was running through his veins physically. That he was the Son of God because he was issued forth from God, begotten of God to where his natural Father was God the Father. That's what's being discussed here. And only Jesus uh, has the ability to say that. So we see the deliverer of this prayer, the one who gave this prayer, the one who prayed it. But then number two, here's where I'd like for us uh, to pick up tonight. We see number two, not only the deliverer of the prayer, but I want to say something about the direction of the prayer. Again, let's look at verse number one. These words spake Jesus. That's the deliverer of the prayer. And lifted up his eyes to heaven. Doesn't that sound like direction? He lifted up. He lifted. That speaks of direction. Lifted up. That speaks of direction. His eyes to heaven. Where is the heavens? It's above uh, where we are. The, the Bible speaks of three heavens. We understand that. We have uh, the atmosphere of the clouds in this world in which we live is the, is, uh, the first heaven. And then you go beyond that and you uh, go into the solar system realm and the realm of the universe and that is the second heaven. Uh, and then uh, you go to what is called the third heaven, and that is the dwelling place of God where you and I that are saved are headed one of these days. So either way you look at it, whether first, second, or third, heaven is always up. Amen. And so that speaks of direction. But then he says this, and this is the most specific of directions here in verse number one, where it says, He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father. When I speak of the direction of the prayer, yes, we're talking about him lifting up and, and that physical direction. But I also want to talk about as he, uh, as he lifts up his uh, eyes and he, as he lifts up his eyes to heaven. He's not lifting his eyes up vertically uh, because he's just simply interested in, 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 in looking up. 
but he's looking up because that is uh, there is a direction in which uh, he, the person that he is praying to is above him. The conversation is one that is above. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee. Notice the direction of his prayer uh, ought to be the direction of our prayers. When we pray, uh, we ought to make sure that we realize that there is someone above us who is genuinely hearing our prayers. He did not pray to the ceiling when he lifted up his eyes. He did not pray to the walls. He did not pray to the sky. He did not do as some uh, Asian cultures do and pray to totem poles and de uh, dead ancestors. He did not even pray to other saints as the Catholic Church would have for you to believe. He did not pray to his mother Mary or to any other man, but he prayed to the only one that you and I and he could truly pray to. He prayed to God, and can I say this? I'm thankful he knew which God to pray to. Amen. It wasn't any of the pagan gods that Israel had uh, that Israel had heard of other nations worshiping. It wasn't the calf of the Israelites that they had bowed it down to and sang and danced to in the book of Exodus. This was the true God of heaven. When they prayed, when, or excuse me, when he prayed, he prayed to his father. Notice when the Bible says that the direction of his prayer was to his father, there's two things that to my heart that represents. Number one, can I submit this to you tonight? It depicts kinship. He says, Father, I had an, an earthly father. Thomas Leon Lawson was my earthly father. From the day I was born to the day till July 17th, 2009, when the Lord took him home, that was my earthly father. For 16 years of my earthly sojourn here, I had an earthly father. And there was no one else that I ever called that. There's no other person that I have ever in my life addressed by that title. You know why? Because there was only one person kin to me that had that title. Here we understand that Jesus here says, Father. Again, not trying to make any mad, but he did not put an S on the end of that word. God never intended for anybody to have more than one father. Amen. Jesus had one father just as we do. And he directs his attention in prayer to his father. The title father shows that Jesus was part of the bloodline of the one that he was praying to. None of us can say that tonight as far as our physical parentage is concerned. Uh, Thomas Leon Lawson, I could not pray to him. There was a lot of times where somebody, if they heard me, might have thought that I was praying to him. Amen. Uh, saying, you know, uh, please stop or whatever the case may be in times of punishment or whatever. But I'll say this. I've never prayed to my earthly father.
However, tonight, as, as, as I trusted Christ as an eight-year-old boy, uh, uh, 22 years ago, uh, I received on that day a heavenly Father that I can pray to as Jesus did here. Jesus just lets us know that when he called out to his Father that he was part of the family of the one that he was praying to. And can I say this tonight? What a wonderful privilege it is for you and I that have been blood-bought and saved by the grace of God to be able to bow our head and say, Father. It means we're part of the family. It means we are kin to him. Amen. For Jesus here in our text, the God who was listening to his son was kin to the son that was praying. Uh, you don't call someone father, as I've said, that you aren't related to. But here Jesus was related to him. Well, that's one reason why, uh, personally, I don't believe uh, that the Catholic Church should call their priest father. Here's the reason why. Because if both the Catholic individual and the priest are not saved, then, they're not, then, then there'd be no reason to call him father. Because if, there's, if they are unsaved, unless the priest is physically by blood kin to the Catholic, that Catholic has no right to call him father. Because being lost, the only person that deserves that title for you is the one that was involved in your procreation and you being brought into this world. That by biology, that by genetics is your father. And unless they're physically related, he doesn't deserve that title in if the priest is doing what he's taught to do uh, as a priest, uh, they are called to have a vow of celibacy. He shouldn't be fathering anybody. So therefore, if they're both, lo both lost, the title should not apply to him. If, if, the, if either, the, either the Catholic or the priest is saved and one of them is not then therefore the one that the, 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 the priest does not have a right to bear the name father either. Because if one of them is saved, then that one has not only an earthly father, but now has a heavenly father, that it is a slight to the heavenly father to call any man on earth father. Here we see that if the priest were to call, if the priest were to be called father, then I would submit to you tonight that it does take away from the one who is the true father of those who believe, and that is God. Jesus referred to God as his father uh, on a number of occasions, specifically 84 times in the Gospels alone. Here Jesus is found calling out to his father. I find it interesting if you look at verse number 11, and I'll deal with this more in just a minute, but I find it interesting that in verse number 1 in chapter 17 we find Jesus calling him father. But then in verse number 11 we find him being called holy father. Verse 11, he said, And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I am come to thee. Holy Father, 
keep through thine own name those which thou hast given me that, that, that they may be one as we are one. You'd say, preacher, why are you picking on the Catholics tonight? Because here in verse number 11, uh, Jesus called God the Father a name that most Catholics call their priests. And by the way, if you, if you believe the way the Catholics believe, I'm not saying there's not a Catholic somewhere in the world that is not saved, but they're not saved believing what the Catholic Church teaches. For you to get genuinely born again as a Catholic and bearing that title, you have to do so contrary to what your church believes and teaches. If you go to God for salvation, by the way the Catholic Church says for you to get saved, then you're going to go to God for salvation when you show up on Sunday morning and you take of the sacraments. Which, by the way, this is, a, this is a, another sermon for another day. But there's a reason why we here at Beacon Baptist Church, when we talk about the Lord's Supper and we talk about baptism, we call them ordinances of the church. We, we, we call it communion. We call it more biblically the Lord's table, the Lord's supper. Why? Uh, because when you hear a group of people that calls baptism and the Lord's supper sacraments, the word sacraments by its definition means that they believe that there are salvific properties in taking those actions. That you get saved by taking those actions. If you want to get saved the Catholic way, then you let your parents bring you into the Catholic church and put your uh, little infant body in the hands of a priest and let them dunk you in a baptistry somewhere and they say that your salvation's in the water. You're literally having your sins washed away. Even more grotesque than that is their view on the Lord's Supper as a sacrament where they believe salvation is, uh, salvation is slowly received by you taking every single week the sacrament of communion, the sacrament of what they call the Eucharist. They don't even call it communion. They call it the Eucharist. And if you take part in the Eucharist, what they're teaching is, is that the bread that you eat, literally, it's called transubstantiation is what the, their doctrine is. And they teach that the bread that you eat literally becomes the broken body of the Lord. And when you eat that bread, you are physically eating the flesh of the Lord Jesus. And as you do so, it is working eternal life that uh, Christ possessed, and it is infusing itself in you. The same thing with the wine. And they don't drink Welch's like we do. Amen. What they're, what they're pulling out the back, Brother Dean, has a more fancy name than Welch's. It's, amen. It's one of those Italian things that I can't pronounce. Amen. I would give you an example, but I've never been around it enough to even make a guess. Amen. Thank God for that. Amen. But they drink literal wine. Which, by the way, is nothing more than fermented rotten grape juice. So they're teaching that when you take, when you take part, and they, they do it out of the same goblet. I don't know if that, they did, Brother Brandon, here we are during COVID, wiping door handles and, and seats and, and light switches and doing all the crazy stuff that they asked us to do during COVID. And the Pope has a communion, and they're still all drinking out of the same nasty goblet. And somehow that was COVID approved. 
if if we all had a big chalice and we came around communion, I said we got a big we got a big chalice of grape juice and we're gonna make a line and we're all gonna take a sip and after your sip was done and you put your mouth on the cup, all they do is wipe the cup off and hand it to the next person. I don't know if Fauci would say that was COVID sanitized. Do you? <laughs> We have churches bringing in machines that's supposed to sanitize the whole building, and the Pope and all the all the Catholic priests are wiping it off with the same. Not all, no, they didn't even use a different napkin every time. It's the same napkin in the same dirty place on the cup. Anyway, I digress. Y'all can tell I'm not bitter. <clears throat> Anyway, I'm telling you, if you're if, if the world approves of what you are and what you're doing, you can get away with anything. But at least you let a Bible-believing church try to do something like that. Just try to have church, and they'll shut us down. But they they, they teach that when you take a sip out of that chalice, that you are all literally drinking the physical blood of the Lord Jesus and their salvation and eternal life in that blood. And when you digest that blood, you are every single week when you come in, you're becoming saved more and more because you're eating more of the blood of uh, eating more of the body of Jesus, drinking more of the, of the blood of Jesus. And that saves you through taking part of the sacraments. They teach that it is in your baptism when you're dunked in water. It washes your sins away when you partake of the sacraments, when you take part of the Eucharist, that you are eating and drinking salvation to yourself. And then thirdly, they teach by you being part of the Holy Roman Church, the Mother, uh, the mother Church, uh, the Holy Roman Catholic Church, that there's salvation and being part of the church. Can I submit to you tonight, there couldn't, be, there couldn't be three. By the way, that's the three ways they teach that you get saved. And according to that King James Bible, all three are wrong. You don't get saved by being put in baptismal waters. You do not get saved by taking in communion. And you do not get saved by church membership. If you get saved, it's not going to be how many Hail Marys did you say. It's not going to be how many times you crossed yourself. It's not going to be how many times you showed up to morning mass or how many times you confessed your sins to a priest. But it's going to be, has there ever been a time in your life where you trusted Jesus Christ and Him alone as your Savior? Amen. And here we find, amen, that when we talk here in this verse where it talks about uh, the, uh, Jesus said, Holy Father, they give that to, those, to the Catholics. And they call that priest who is just as lost as any sinner that has ever been born in this world. If he believes his own doctrine, if he believes those things I just mentioned to you, he's on his way to hell. If he's trusting in that to get him and his congregation to heaven, it's sad to say, and I don't glorify in it, but the whole lot's headed to hell because they have not come by the one way that this Bible says that you can come to, come to God and get saved. Jesus called his father, Holy Father. And to call anyone else Holy Father, it deifies man and it dethrones God. So therefore I had to mention that tonight. He says, Father, he says, Holy Father. We'll deal with this more in a minute. He identifies his God as a heavenly father. Amen. There's a good outline there. His Father, Holy Father, Heavenly Father. One of you boys preach that sometime. Amen. It speaks of kinship. 
When you pray, you ought to talk to God like you're His child. Amen. When you pray, you ought to pray to Him like He belongs to you and you belong to Him. Why? Not to be proud, not to be arrogant, but because that's the way that it is. That's what salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ has afforded you. The Bible says we have access by, by faith into this grace wherein we stand. We have access to God. Hebrews said that we are to come boldly unto the throne of grace. Why? Because we have access. Amen. When the veil of the temple was rent in twain, that meant that there was no barrier between man and God anymore. And whosoever will, let him come and drink of the water of life freely. We have access to our God. We're family. What a wonderful joy tonight it is to know that when we come to God, that we can speak as if we have a relationship with Him because we do if we're saved. You don't have to talk to Him like some kind of religious myth or some kind of fairy tale. I tell people all the time, I've heard people say this, and you ask them to pray, and they say, Preacher, I, just, I can't pray good. I've told them, I, I've told them several times, it's a good thing you don't have to pray good. If you have a relationship with somebody that you're close to, and you have a close family relationship with somebody. I've never walked into my home with my family and tried to impress anybody. The last time I tried to, the last time I tried to impress Brian Herps was before me and Tori said I do. <laughs> After that, time for impressions over. You stuck with me, Amen. <laughs> And then once the, once the grandbabies came along, that's the greatest thing in the world. Amen. I don't try to impress my family. I just enjoy my family. I just live in my, with my family. I just, I, I'm myself around my family. When you go to God in prayer, you don't have to try to impress Him. You don't have to do like I've heard so many do. And they'll say, oh, uh, Father, which heart in heaven. And they try to do all these big things. And you hear somebody, amen. What, what baffled me is when I heard somebody that was born and raised in Calpian, South Carolina, praying and saying, oh, thou Father this, and thy, thy deity this, and all of this. You're from Calpins like me. Amen. We don't talk like that. We're country boys from the middle of nowhere. Amen. We don't talk like that. It makes you want to look at some folks and say, who in the world are you talking to? Because if you're family, I don't talk like that to family. I don't talk like that to friends. When I encourage people when it comes to their prayer life, I'll tell them, talk to God like you talk to me. Talk to God like you talk to your best friend. Because if He's your Savior, He is your best friend. He's the dearest friend you've ever had. He's a better friend than the best friend that you can even imagine in, in your mind right now. Whoever your best friend is, they've got to slide out of the way because Jesus truly is the best friend any of us could ever have. 
So here we find Jesus is just simply opening his heart up to his Father. If we are kin to him, we can do the same. We don't have to talk like he's some kind of religious relic, myth, or fairy tale. He is our Father. You are his child, and you can talk to him like family. He wants to have a father-son and a father-daughter talk with you today. When was the last time you just simply bore your heart out to your heavenly Father? The word Father here depicts kinship. But can I say this as well? It depicts kingship. Again, look with me at verse number 1. The Bible said this, Jesus said this, Father, the hour has come. Notice this now. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son may also glorify thee. Here he's speaking of glorification. There is only one entity in this universe that has the ability to glorify, to truly glorify the Son of God. There is only one who has the authority to do that, and that's the one that he's praying to here. The Father is supposed to be the authority in the home. Ephesians 6, 1 states that children are to obey their parents, and Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 24 states that the wife is to be subject unto the husband. This would put the husband and the father on top of God's biblical chain of authority. Ephesians 5, 24 implies that husband Husbands and thereby fathers are to represent Christ in the position that God has put them in. They are to represent the chief authority in their homes. And I believe that they have, uh, that, the, that the men of our church are uh, by proxy uh, leaders in our church because the church is no stronger than the home and the men are to be leading their homes in the ways of God. When the Bible uses a term like father in its very name, nature, it, it is synonymous with authority. When you use the word for mankind, there's an authority that's attached to it. When you use the word of God especially, there is great authority that is attached to it. When we think about exactly what Father is being spoken of here, we see another level of authority mentioned. Jesus is praying to his Father as he lifts his eyes to heaven. That means that Jesus is speaking to his heavenly Father. As the Father is the head and chief of the family, the Heavenly Father is the head and chief uh, authority in the universe in all of existence. When Jesus says, Father, he's praying to the greatest authority in the universe. Here he says that Jesus here, when he says Father, he calls God his heavenly Father. He said it also in Matthew chapter number 15. He said this in Matthew chapter number 15 in verse number 13. The Bible said, but he answered and said, every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Jesus said this in Matthew uh, chapter uh, number 6. There in Matthew he called him his heavenly father and then in Matthew chapter number 6 in verse number 14 the Bible says this for if ye forgive men their trespasses your heavenly father will also uh, forgive you. He said this in verse 26 of the same chapter he said behold the fowls of the air for they sow not neither do they reap nor gather into barns yet 
that your heavenly Father feedeth them. In verse number 32 of the same chapter, the Bible says this, For all these things do the Gentiles seek, speaking about what we shall eat or what we shall drink or what shall we be clothed with. He said, For all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus said that the Father in heaven was His heavenly Father. And over and over again in Matthew chapter number 6, He says that you and I, in His practical teachings to the believer, He says that you and I have His Father as our heavenly Father. That depicts kingship. Because if He is my heavenly Father, then that means He's over me. If He's my heavenly Father and He's in charge of the heavens and the earth, that means He has great authority over me. And He's in charge of the earth and I'm in the earth. He has great authority in my life. Luke eleven thirteen 13 says, Again, speaking of the Heavenly Father and how He is our Heavenly Father, Luke eleven thirteen, Jesus said, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? The Bible here clearly says that God is Christ's Heavenly Father, but He is also our Heavenly Father. That is a title of God that depicts His authority. Can I say this? When we pray, we ought to pray to our Father in humble subjection to His authority. That is exactly what Jesus was doing when He called out to God and He said, Father. In the model prayer where it says, Our Father which art in heaven, part of the lesson of prayer that's being made there is not to just repeat those words, but to be mindful when you pray who you're praying to. We'll say things like this when we pray, Heavenly Father. And we say that and we're used to that just because it's what we say. Right? But in that model prayer in Matthew chapter number 6, when it says, Our Father, the lesson first of all is that we are in relationship together. And not just me and you, but all of those who have trusted Christ as their Savior, we're a family. And I call to you as part of the family, our Father. And then it adds this, which art in heaven. Don't ever forget how much higher than you He is. When you pray, don't ever forget how much further above you He is. When you pray, don't forget the authority that He has because He does sit up on high and He looks down low and that's where He deserves to be. It's more than, friend, if I have ever taught you anything in the, in the five and a half years I've been your pastor, I want you to learn to read your Bible and to take the Bible for what it says and apply it specifically to your life. The words are not just spiritualized language uh, from, uh, from uh, over 400 years ago, but every 
word in the Bible is there to teach us a lesson about our God. And when in Matthew 6, he's called our Heavenly Father in John 17, in the true Lord's Prayer, when the Lord is talking about his Father and he lifts his eyes toward heaven, why would he do that? He is reminding himself that even though he is the Son of God, there is an authority that he in an earthly realm is submitting to while he's on the earth. If God the Son submits to the will of God the Father, how much more do you think you and I should? Jesus never once as the Son of God that was with the Father in creation to where the book of Genesis says that it was He that was involved in creation and nothing, John said, was created without Him. Uh, Colossians says, for by Him, by Christ, all things can see us and have their being in Genesis when the Word was said, let us make man in our image. Jesus was there making the Word us. A plural word that needed to be used because the Godhead that included Christ was there in creation. If that Christ says, I recognize his authority, even in heaven, he recognizes his authority. Even today, as God the Son sits on the right hand of the Father in heaven forever, making intercession for us and taking our prayers to God, do you know what the next prophetic event on God's timetable is? It's the rapture. Do you know when the rapture will come? When God the Father tells the Son, now's the time to go get your bride. Even God the Son sitting in heaven on a throne is submitting himself to the will of the Father. Every time he says, Father, it lets us know that he is in holy and humble submission to God. The Bible says, speaking of the rapture, that that, that, that day no man knows. The angels of heaven do, do not know, nor does even the Son of Man himself, the Lord Jesus, does not know the day of his own return, because he is submitted to the will of the Father. Here we see that it depicts king, kingship. It depicts an authority. I submit to you if Jesus is willing to submit uh, to humble subjection to his Father as his authority, you and I should be willing to do whatsoever God would ask of us. Jesus prayed his prayer in this text in a way of humble submission, and we ought to pray our prayer in that way as well. That whatever God's answer is, whatever God's will is, We'll submit ourselves to the will of the authority of God. The term Father here is seen being used by Christ in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 39 as He is in complete submission to the will of the Heavenly Father when He says this in Matthew 26, 39, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, the Bible said, and He went a little farther and fell on His face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, you see that, that, that word of authority there? Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. How many times in our prayers are we praying with submission? With genuine 
submission. Not just speaking the words and saying the things that we say and say, oh, Lord, I, I, I want whatever you want and I'll do whatever you want me to do. And really in our heart not mean a word of it. When was the last time that the, 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 the reality in our heart was nevertheless you pray and you realize it's nothing more than a request and in your heart you've asked for what you want but you're not demanding anything of God because you, the true reality of your heart is nevertheless not as I will but as thou wilt. I've got this list of things God I'd like to see you do but if you do none of it I will still bow my knee before you. I will still submit myself to you because why? You're the father. You're the king. You are the authority. Here as we see the direction of this prayer it depicts kinship. It depicts kingship. When was the last time we prayed this way with humble submission for God's will in our life. Have you made this a daily practice of your prayer life? Christ here in this passage gives us a great example of how we are to, how, what that we are to follow when we pray. So here tonight I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. The true Lord's Prayer, it tells us of the deliverer of this prayer but it also tells us of the direction of this prayer. Next time we gather in this text we'll talk about the details of this prayer and walk briefly through some some of the words of this chapter together. Let's stand together. To Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com.